G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 74 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thanks so much for joining in, guys. Another very special guest today, a very interesting guest, um, Dr. Ivan Zwart. Now, Ivan and I, uh, I have known each other for quite a while now, and uh, Ivan has got a, a really, really interesting story to tell. Um, come through traditional realms, uh, uni, become a doctorate, uh, a doctor um, of uh, social science, uh, did all the things that society expected of him and become quite successful. But at the same time, he worked himself into a high state of depression and uh, really, really struggled um, to manage his work-life balance, um, as most of us do, many of us do. Now, Ivan, um, from there, got himself into a really, really bad state, um, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, struggled for a long time. Um, and we're really lucky to have Ivan with us because he uh, he did uh, he did have some um, significant um, challenges there for a period. But thankfully for us all, Ivan has reclaimed his life through meditation, and he's been practicing a a really profound form of med- meditation called heart based meditation or open heart meditation uh, for quite a while now, and um, it's transformed his life, saved his life, and given him direction. It's allowed, and allowed him to find out who he really is. Um, it's attracted a beautiful partner into his life, and his life's great, you know, from there. But, um, yeah, if it wasn't for meditation, Ivan's life would be, be totally different. So there's lots to learn from this conversation, how life can sweep us away into a direction that we don't actually feel aligned with. And once we sort of realign ourselves uh, to find what it is that makes us truly purposeful and happy, then we can have a joyful wonderful beautiful life so um, Ivan and I are going to talk a lot about that about you know being okay to sort of tap into our, our uh, feminine energy a little bit and that's sort of connecting to our heart a lot of us guys are you know so distant from that it's not funny so to be able to reconnect with um, with with what's going on inside us and uh, you know find out who we really are and this uh, practice that Ivan does is really profound so we're going to talk a lot more about that just want to make more, uh, sorry, special mention to our primary partners who support the podcast, Green Nutritionals, who make green organic superfoods, which are awesome for our physical and mental health. So please check them out. I think you'll find their products really profound um, and all sorts of products that actually uh, do a variety of different things, which uh, uh, help supplement uh, imbalances in our life. So it's greennutritionals.com.au, also Pure Life Organic Spreaded Bakery, Bread that loves you back, so bread that actually is good for us, that digests well and uh, is uh, so much better for our mental health when our digestion is working better. So please check them out. Their breads are available around Australia, purelifebakery.com.au. Alrighty, thanks so much for joining in and listening to this conversation. It's going to get quite deep at times, so just be aware that um, you may find it a little bit challenging, but that's okay. Just uh, come back and re-listen at your own pace. Ivan Swart, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Oh, thanks very much, Aaron. No worries, mate. So uh, so good to have you along here. Um, how long do you reckon we've known each other for? It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, I'm thinking it's 10 years plus. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably is, actually. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, I think I met you um, 
at the Lotus Center doing meditation in Hobart when I first started doing meditation. And um, I, I don't think it was you, but someone said to me when I was doing this, like how busy my mind was. So I was trying to sit there and do this heart-centered uh, meditation. And it was really difficult for me because um, my mind was so busy, you know, <laughs> and and you, you've, you've stuck with that. I've gone into other practices since then. But uh, yeah, I... I we're going to talk a lot about it, but the connection with the heart is, is really what it's all about at the end of the day. So, um, you know, well done for you for being able to stick to your knitting and, and, and keep with the, the practice that you're doing. And I remember Kent, Kent Young telling me that after all the meditation training and practices that he's done, this is the most profound that he'd ever actually uh, come across. Yeah, that's certainly um, been my experience. Uh, prior to um, discovering the heart, I'd done some mindfulness training and... Um, I found that useful. Um, mindfulness essentially is about bringing presence um, to us. So, you know, we have an anchor of some kind, it might be your breathing or your body or something like that. Um, and it's useful, you know, it's very popular. But for me, like, like Kent, um, you know, I would say, yeah, the heart's definitely, for me, been the, the deeper one and the one that's given me greater peace and um, feelings of joy and, and love and that kind of thing. Yeah, all the good stuff, mate. Uh... Now, let's go back across uh, your journey, mate. Born and bred in Hobart, uh, twin brother, all that sort of stuff. Um, let us know how life evolved for you, like where you went to school and all. I, I know you're a good golfer and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, you got drawn into the uni uh, system. So just uh, just take us back through the uh, the early days, mate, if you can. Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, yeah, started my life in Hobart, um, and uh, I've got a twin brother, Derek, and a sister, Megan, who's three years older than us. Um, yeah, had two lovely parents, uh, Pamela and Peter, and um, went to uh, Princess Street Primary, which is a public school just not far from where I used to live. Um, yeah, and just played. I played heaps of sport. I was a sports nut um, when I was young, and I still love um, sport, mostly a hockey player, so I still play hockey, and... Um, yeah, used to run around a lot and um, really expend the energy that way. And um, yeah, had a had a really fortunate childhood to be honest. Um, not much really went wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I just had, had had friends, enjoyed school, played sport, and and things were good. And um, and uh, yeah, when I um, was about twenty one, um, my mother uh, started falling over for what at the time was sort of no apparent reason and um yeah that that was kind of when the the, the difficult part of my life and my family's life um began because uh, mum um was later diagnosed with dementia mm. um and she battled that for about 10 years um before she died so she died in 2006 mm. um and um yeah so that was really hard just watching her slowly deteriorate um yeah, which was which was just really yeah tough, and that affected my mental health and my um, my happiness, I guess. And um, and then to make matters worse, unfortunately, Dad developed cancer about four years before Mum died, um, and then he died in two thousand and ten. So um, yeah, it was a tough time, um, really, that that period of my life. Um, uh, yeah, so that's I guess the. <laughs> That's the early part, but fortunately things have got a lot better since then. So you, yeah. were, you were living in Melbourne for a fair part of that too, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, when I went to, gosh, I probably went to Melbourne about 
oh, 18 years ago or something. Um, I was there for a decade. Um, and I left basically just before Mum died. Um, so that would have been, yeah, about 2002 or thereabouts. Mm. Um, yeah, and... Uh, I mean, it was good. I basically, um, you know, I finished my doctorate. I did a doctorate in politics, um, looking at um, community engagement, essentially, um, around environmental issues. So I kind of had this research background and um, and I'd worked a little bit in Tassie as well, but was just looking for more job opportunities. So I moved to Melbourne. Mm. Um, yeah, which was good. I enjoyed my 10 years there, but, um, yeah, now really happy to be back in Tassie. Yeah, mate. Um Pretty amazing, isn't it? Like we, we sort of follow the breadcrumbs that society sort of lays out for us. And, um, you know, hearing about your childhood, it sounded like it was really joyous. And uh, you you went to uni, you, you, you got a doctorate, so you did all the, 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 the right things, supposedly, and that took you into employment, which you didn't really enjoy. Uh, sorry, I missed the last bit, mate. So the, all the, the uni stud, studies and all that type of stuff, stuff took you into into uh, employment that you didn't really enjoy? Um, well, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. I, I would say, um, yeah, within, I mean, the, the jobs I worked in were, were um, all broadly within research or community engagement kind of roles. And, and I found... Yeah, like the intellectual challenges in the jobs that I had, I found terrific. Um, often, you know, um, I liked I liked solving problems, uh, particularly around um, sort of social research and how to get good information out of people around um, sort of policy issues and stuff. So, I um, I enjoyed that aspect, and I, I worked with some really um, smart, you know, um, hardworking people, um, passionate people, and. So in that regard, you know, um, at times I really did enjoy my work, but I also had um, some really uh, awful experiences at work as well. Um, I think, yeah, one of the things that um, I know you're well aware of is that within some environments, corporate environments, it can be quite... Um, well, it's stressful, but it's, it's, I think it's unnecessarily so often... Um, the demands put on people are sometimes quite unreasonable and, um, you know, particularly if you're struggling with some personal issues like I was um, at, you know, that time in my life when mum and dad were struggling, um, you know, it can, yeah, work can be a, a pretty tough place and I certainly found that to be the case in a few um, places that I worked. There wasn't a lot of compassion. Uh, no, there was... <laughs> uh, no, in a, in a few places not, and, and particularly one one place that I worked at in Victoria. Um, yeah, the, the the second time I, I I don't know if I've mentioned, but um, yeah, after um, after Dad died, I became manic and um, and uh, and then was um, put on high doses of antipsychotics, and um, I think that contributed to subsequent depression, and then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder um, and. Um, you know, there's reasons for that which I can kind of go into, and the good news is I'm really well now and I'm free of it. But um, the uh, the employer that I had at the time, the second time I became manic, the employer um, in their wisdom decided that um, they wanted to get rid of me, mm. um, and that yeah, that really took me to a pretty dark place, unfortunately. Um, so I don't think I don't think they handled my 
um, well-being very well at all. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, I work, um, it's not funny, it's tragic really, but, um, you know, given I work uh, now in my business called Happy Grand where I teach happiness, which is a, <laughs> a lovely thing to be doing, um, but I work in the mental health space now and, and stories such as mine are unfortunately a bit more common than, um, than we'd like. Yeah. yeah, so it's, um, it does happen, yeah. Yeah, mate, um, really grateful to, to you, uh, for, for you to go through that again. I know that was a pretty challenging uh, period of your life and, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm really passionate about employers, um, you know, helping support their people and uh, unfortunately it's still quite cold in, in many, many cases with regards to the way that um, the, the staff are managed and so forth and, um, you know, that's got to change. I really believe that heart-based leadership is the way to go and um, that's what you, you had as a boy, that's what you had uh, when you were coming through the, you know, the early stages of your life, you had that connection with your heart. We're going we're gonna to dive more deeply into that but, um, you know, through that period and when you sort of were coming out of it, uh, what were the things that um, that, that, that basically you, you went into that sort of dark place, which I believe, did you have some hospitalisation or was there uh, was there a period where you sort of were, 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 were pretty unstable there? Um, yeah, well, the, the second time I was manic in Melbourne, um, I... Uh, yeah, I ended up in, um, you know, I think it was called the Northern Hospital in um, in Melbourne. And after, um, yeah, I was put on a, a heavy dose of, of what's called lithium. Um, it's a drug that's um, used to manage uh, mania. And um, to be honest, it's, it's a bloody horrible drug to be on, or it certainly was for me. Um, and when I got back to work, probably uh, a couple of weeks after I got out of hospital, um, I, I was on a high dose of this drug and I, I couldn't think at all. Um, I, I was in a, a high-pressure corporate job with um, deadlines that um, see, seemed at least to the employers to be completely immovable and so therefore there was a lot of pressure on me to perform. And as I said, I couldn't think. I, I lost any sense of who I was as a person. Um, it destroyed my self-confidence and my self-esteem. Um, I was just walking around in the brain fog and, and basically depressed and um, and I, I couldn't work really. Um, and um, yeah, the, my manager at the time um, basically just introduced me to someone at HR and they said, look, you know, your work's not up to scratch. And um, after a couple of meetings, they, um, they kind of, um, off. I think they eventually they offered me a payout. Um, but there was never any kind of, discussion about my health in a sense that you know my it, it was a performance issue because my health was bad but my health was bad because I was on a drug that I, I couldn't function on and I was saying to them look I just need some time to change medication um, but they didn't give me that time and so unfortunately my treatment at work combined with the drug I was on led me um, to become suicidal so I did I did try to take my own life which I'm not at all proud of but um I think, you know, I guess what it taught me was that, amongst other things, is that, um, you know, if life pushes you in a certain way and then you have a bit more bad luck and you um, you don't get the support you need, um, I think, because uh, I work, I've worked in, in the area of suicide um, before and, and what I've learned is that, um, you know, pretty much anyone is capable of it if you're pushed in the you know, in the wrong way for long enough. Um, and I guess that's just what happened with me. Um, 
you know. But the good news is it was a catalyst for me in many ways as well. I remember waking up after um, after my suicide attempt going, well, um, geez, that was stupid. Uh, maybe, I, you know, I've got another chance in life. And, um, and that's within about uh, three or four months I got myself better. Um, I discovered the heart, which we can talk about um, shortly, if you like, and um, I started to feel a lot better. And then, um, and then I started um, developing training courses around happiness. So uh, that's where my life started to turn around. Mate, um, look, it's it's amazing. Lots of things went through my mind as you were speaking then. But you know, how how good would it have been if the employer sort of said to you? Ivan, how, how are you? What can we do to help you? Um, you know, half a dozen words um, that may have been able to re-divert things. Do you think that would have been um, probably something that would have been uh, welcome at the time? Oh, completely. <laughs> completely. You know, like, it's hard enough, um, you, you know, like, I know things are, are gradually changing, but um, if you get diagnosed with, say, anxiety or depression, you know, that's bad enough, that's difficult. But if you get a diagnosis like bipolar, which I was given, um, there's a degree of shame and humiliation there that is very hard to describe. Um, and then to make so you're not only battling with, you know, the, the practicalities of the, um, the way in which you're feeling, um, and at the time I was feeling very low, um, you're dealing with the shame and humiliation of um, of the label. Um, nobody at work knew how to deal with me or relate to me, and I couldn't relate to anyone properly because I was on this drug. Um, what I needed at the time was an employer to say to me, um, look, we know you, you want to change drugs. We understand you've got this diagnosis. We also know that, you know, for the period of time that, you've been here at this work, you've been a fantastic worker. And up until then I had been, I'd, you know, met all the performance indicators mm. and, and, and done a t- terrific job from all accounts, you know, on the work that I'd done. And I think up until then I was, you know, I worked hard, I was respected. Um, and, you know, so I would have thought that a better approach with me would have been to say, look, we feel for you, mate. Um, what can we do to help? And I think what I would have said to them is, um, can I have some, as I did say them, can I have some time to change drugs? Can you give me some work that I can do for, say, you know, one or two days a week? Um, you know, I think I probably at that time had a bit of savings, so I could have, you know, had three or four months just working, um, you know, less hours, um, doing something that was useful for the organisation but not quite so mentally challenging, trying to change medication, um, get my life back in order, and then I would have been good to go again. Um, mm. You know, and that would have avoided um, the horrible situation that I found myself in the, and the mindset which developed, which was obviously very, you know, detrimental to my health. Would you, have, would you agree that those, that those words that you just mentioned would be coming more from the heart? Oh, well, actually, yeah. I mean, that totally, mate. That, that's the thing. Um, I, um, I've got a presentation coming up fairly soon um, down here in Tassie with a, a government organisation, um, not dissimilar actually to the one I was working in. And um, the message I'm going to be giving in that talk is that what was missing from the employer that I had at the time was was a heart perspective. You know, like your heart is a place of, of joy, of peace, 
of compassion, of love, um, of care for your fellow human being, you know. Mm. And and often the head is more rational, but not always. It's not always a nice rational. It's kind of like it's calculating, and it's also very much driven by fear. Mm. It's um, and so if we allow our heads, you know, to to rule over um, perhaps the wiser and the deeper and the more kind part of us, which is our heart, then we can make decisions which aren't for the best for um, for others. And I think that's what happened to me. I think I think my employer really basically was just scared. They were probably thinking, well, we've got this em- employee here. He's a problem. Um, you know, uh, we're worried that it will reflect badly on the organisation. We just need to get rid of him as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a more a more heart based approach would have been more like the one I described. Yeah, you know, the listen high, to me, work with me. You the, know, the higher levels of consciousness. Well, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah there's a um, a fellow called David Hawkins wrote a really good book called um, uh, Power versus Force. Uh, Force, I think Force. It's called. That's it. Yeah, and. Um, it's a wonderful book. I'm just uh, I'm only halfway through it, but it really resonates with me because um, I've been doing heart meditation for the last eleven years, and um, it does. The heart has this amazing, peaceful, light um, energy uh, or love. Actually, that's how it feels. And um, as you develop and strengthen your heart, um, it it removes a lot of the burdens and the heaviness that we carry around with us, and 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 it literally changes the way we feel not only in the heart center um but throughout our entire body um there's a group called the heart math institute in uh, america and they've studied the heart center and the and the um the changes that can happen to us when our heart improves but one of the interesting things is they have this little uh, diagram of, of the energy um that surrounds the heart and it's it's enormous, like someone with an open heart, you know, has a, a kind of a radiance about them um, that is, you know, goes for metres and metres and metres. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they also have a picture of the radiance that comes from the head. It's much smaller. Um, so the heart's a really important energy centre and, um, you know, when we develop it and improve it, um, it's almost like our vibration changes, um, as David Hawkins would say, to a higher frequency um, it's a lighter, more peaceful, subtle feeling, um, and if you can, um, you know, improve your heart, it'll change the way you feel and see the world in uh, very, you know, many amazing ways. So when we're kids, I believe that we have that with us uh, until we're sort of maybe seven or eight, and we sort of get into the education system, and the education system puts us into fear pretty quickly, <laughs> and then we're uh, and then we're governed by that for you know maybe the rest of our lives to uh, perform and compete and compare and judge and criticize and all the low levels of consciousness you know, and we get stuck in that it's it's hard to get out of the mind um, to uh, to to actually come back to your real self and I really believe you know, having a practice where you can connect with your heart every day is so f- important for a human because it actually brings us home again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, the, yeah, as you, as you point out, the, the entire Western um, sort of way of um, living is, is very mind-centred. Um, it, you're right, it tends to um, favour critical thinking, so we're very good at um, sort of knocking the... Um, or seeing the, the fault in others and... 
and um, you know, but it's a very critical uh, mind-based kind of society we live in, and um, the the uh, the deeper wisdom and um, the more creative and, and beautiful part of humanity actually is is from comes from our heart, mm. um, and I think you know the the. The thing that I've learned is that improving the heart is really simple, actually. Um, the practice I do, I've been doing for the last 11 years, simply involves relaxing. So to feel the heart, it, it's beneficial to be relaxed. And then we just touch our heart in the centre of our chest. So like level with our armpits, you're just touching the centre of your chest with two or three fingers, um, nice and lightly. And then the, the third thing you do is you smile to your heart. Mm. and and then you just smile, um, like we say, sweetly and freely to your heart without thinking about it. So it's it's a really simple practice, and when we do that um, for an extended period of time, um, it can you know really really change the way we feel. And as I was alluding to, and as you're well familiar with, you know, it can change the whole energy in your body to something that's far more peaceful and loving and light. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's not actually that complicated. Um, but uh, it's extremely powerful and really wonderful. It's profound, you know. The the heart is is the home, as, as I mentioned, and and that is that is our soul at the end of the day. You know that 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 goes beyond our physical body. It goes beyond um, you know, all the things that go on in the mind. It connects us with everything. And when we're in our heart, we can walk down a street, and people can feel that within us. We can walk past an animal. The animal will feel comfortable around us. The animal will come up. I've, I've had so many uh, people um, whose pets have run up to me and jumped at me and they said, oh, he's never done that before. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and you've probably experienced that as well. And, uh, you know, little kids just feel comfortable around you and uh, I think they can sense energy, you know. Um, if you're too much in the mind, you're tense, that tension is showing and um, if they feel that you're free, then then there's that real connection with them and... I've seen some some unbelievable healing done um, just through people um, showing com- complete compassion, love to treating someone, and, and what that energy can actually do. That might sound weird to a few people listening, but it's so profound when we're when we're putting the body into a, a positive energy rather than a negative energy. Say putting medication into our body, or sticking something into it, or, or doing something which is working against our, our true nature then our true nature will work against us. And um, when it's it's actually getting what it does need to heal, then I believe that the mind and the body connection can have a profound effect on actually coming back to an equilibrium. Would you agree? Oh, totally, totally. And you mentioned um, uh, quite a nice um, phrase there, like our true nature, um, or I, I kind of think about it um, uh, in terms of like an inner nature. So... Um, um, it, it's often said in, in the West, you know, that, that human nature is, um, how should I put it, it's, it's, it's not a favourable picture of human nature in the West, I don't think. We're sort of seen as selfish and, and um, you know, competitive and that kind of thing, you know. Um, and to be honest, I don't think that's really true. I think, um, I think what you're alluding to, our, our inner nature is actually peaceful, kind, loving. Mm. And, and you know compassionate that's that is uh, that is the essence of us because then it comes from the heart and the heart is the deeper part um, but what happens to us is that we um, have various experiences in life um, 
and we store kind of negative energy, if you like, around the heart. It burdens us. It makes us feel heavy. Our mind becomes more fearful, as you suggested. Um, you know, and then it changes the way we are. Um, so that's what happened to me, you know. Like, when I was young, um, I had, I fortunately had two very kind, loving parents. And, and all I knew at a young age was joy and, and peacefulness. And, um, and everything ran very smoothly and life was terrific. And then... What happened with me was when mum started to get unwell, then, you know, that, that, that heaviness that, that came with watching mum slowly die affected the way I interacted with people. It affected the way I saw the world. It affected, you know, how I, um, how I was as a person. And, and so I became quite sarcastic and negative myself. And, um, you know, and, and it can probably contributed to a whole range of problems that I had in my life. Um, you know, but what I've learned in, in coming back to the heart and learning about it um, as a practice is that, you know, we can recover from those um, those challenging events in life. We can kind of rediscover our inner nature. Um, and and it turns out that I think we all have the capacity to be extremely beautiful and wonderful people. I think we're, that's what we all are in our essence. Mm. Um but we just need to learn the, the, the techniques and the tools, which are very simple. And if we can apply ourselves to those uh, consistently, I mean, I think if everyone in the world did that, the world would be an amazing place. It would yeah, be incredible. I agree. The things, yeah. the things we probably should learn at school. But um, Ivan, you know, you went, you went from the highest levels of consciousness back down the ladder again. Um, you know, and now you've sort of got back up the ladder, but... I've, I've since since I've sort of seen you last. I've been into prisons and I've taught uh, mindfulness meditation, yoga, and that in there, and I've seen hardened criminals come back to that real self again. You know, and that that yeah. is well, you you are vibrating at such a high level. You've got this innate human connection. The behaviour doesn't matter. You know, the intellect doesn't matter when you're in the workplace. The the behaviour that, that, that got a criminal into a jail doesn't matter. All you do to see is his is, is heartbeat and, um, and, and everything else can, can take care of itself from there. Um, that, that's been the huge, the huge shift for me to actually realise that we're all the same. And uh, yeah, once, yeah. once we have the tools to be able to get back to our true nature again, then that's when we can start to live a life of uh, happiness, um, you know, health, healthfulness, and um, you know, and joy, and really, life is meant to be enjoyable, isn't it? You know, we're able to be enjoyed. <laughs> right. We've got the ability, uh, the ability to be enjoyed, and that that's yeah. uh, that that's that's a gift that's so far, uh, you know, higher than the material world that takes us into the lower levels of consciousness of you know greed, competition, comparison, grat- uh, sorry. Um, uh, you know, criticism, all that. And, and you think back at school, and I know it changed for me when I was about 10, you know, uh, or grade four, roughly, and I was all of a sudden into this competitive environment. And, um, and you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do the same as the other kids. I, I had a, like a, a brain chamber removed when I was a little boy, and um, that, that made my physical capabilities not great. And, and, and I'd be judged on not being as fast as the kids or... Not, uh, not able to, you know, maybe do as well uh, as them academically and so forth in some ways, but I was really judged on that and then I become judgmental of myself and then I become critical of myself and then I become critical of others and, and all that and, and that keeps you swimming in that, in that low level of awareness. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And I, I, I think that um, the thing you say about judgment is is true. It's a it's kind of a creature. Like you know, when we're um, spending a lot of time in our mind, we do tend to compare a lot and we judge, and it's kind of we think it's natural. But actually, as we get more into the heart space and we feel more of those peaceful, light, pleasant feelings, mm. we we're less we're more loving towards ourselves. Because that's what that's what we feel. It's not like a conscious decision. I will be loving. It's just that's what that's how you feel. You just feel love, mm. and because you feel love, then you look at another person, and and instead of seeing someone with a a more critical or judgmental eye, that the tendency is just to see another human being, like you say, mm. and um, and then yeah, and then, and then it's it's more coming from a place of compassion. So if you see someone's angry or having a go at someone else or um, you know, is, is not being the best. Um, you know, it's much easier to go, well, look, you know, firstly, I don't feel it, so they're not affecting me anymore, so I don't need to react. And then secondly, you know, you really just feel for them as a human being and you just want, you just want to help. Um, yeah. oh. uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about the heart. It can give you that ability. You you think about it, Ivan. The people that were were so critical to you back in the workplace, which which took you to a dark place back then, I see that with compassion now, and I see the leaders that I've worked with in government um, with compassion because they don't understand what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> well, I think I think like you say, it's just that it has been conditioned that way. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, That's why I see it with compassion because they've gone gone through this system, which has taken them into a fear based leadership model. Um, yeah, and yeah. It's, it hasn't actually like allowed them to connect to their true human nature. And they might they might get back to their true true feeling of of calmness again through having a glass of wine or. Or doing something which is, you know, giving them a momentary um, peace, but uh, that that sense of peace is is able to be with them uh, every day, but they just don't know how to access that. And once that leader gets that that feeling, then that that spreads and transforms into the workplace, you know. And I just see that as much more of a healthful um, way to, to to lead teams than actually leading a team, which is. Um, um, you know, judged on KPIs and uh, expectations and fear and so forth. Once you've got love and compassion for the individual, then the results will yeah. take care of themselves. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the things that I've been doing for the last eight years with my business, Happy Ground. I've been teaching happiness in workplaces. And, um, you know, some people were like, well, why would you bother teaching happiness? And it's like, well, because <laughs> if you can teach people within an organisation to be consistently happy and, and loving and kind towards each other. Like you say, well, the results take look take after the, you know, look after themselves because our brains operate at their best when they're um, you know uh, calm. Uh, we we function best in teams when we're not critical, but when we're more uh, kind and compassionate and thoughtful. And we don't our ego is not taking over, so we don't need to control the discussion. We just take part in it. Um, so you get, get a better team outcomes, you get better, um, our brains are working more effectively. Um, and the other thing is, and, and this is often forgotten about um, in workplaces and in um, organisations, is that they've forgotten the purpose of life. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think one, of the, one of the main purposes in life um, is to be happy and to, to improve the happiness of others. Um, 
related to that is is to love actually to love yourself to love others um and you know so if you can take those things into a workplace you'll not only enjoy your work and and probably reduce the amount of um uh of um absenteeism and presenteeism you so so that will reduce but you'll get a, a better team outcome and a better performance from your team as well people will want to be there and they'll want to be engaged they won't leave you know all these uh, yeah that's right all these, uh, all these, you know, great things about life uh, can be uh, embraced, and I just think we've got the the model is really redundant that we have in many ways. You know, the HR departments and so forth are still thinking in that fear based mentality, and the CEO is still thinking that way. And it's all about systems, systems, systems. At the end of the day, if you can have you know, maybe some structure there, but that's not really governing your business. That the heart based, you know, leadership and the uh, and the joy of creating an environment which is actually uh, naturally achieving results because everyone's engaged with what they're doing to try and raise humanity up, then uh, then all of a sudden uh, that workplace can be a joyful one to be in and people will want to be there, a bit like Richmond Football Club, which I know you're passionate about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, um, it, it's interesting. You, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Richmond, mate. I love talking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I heard Damien Hardwick um, talking, I think it was last year or um, thereabouts, um, about uh, gratitude, mm. you know. Oh, and also Basher Hawley, I remember after a game, he was talking about gratitude mm. and how that was a part of the, um, the culture of the organisation. And I just thought, well, that's brilliant. You know, you can see why they've had the success they've had because they're... You know, gratitude is a heart-based um, kind of uh, idea, really. Um, and it's about appreciating what you've got and being grateful. And I think the, the culture in football probably, um, you know, back in the 80s, except at least when I was sort of starting to follow football, um, it was probably a bit more like what you're talking about with fear, you know. It was kind of more fear-based. And I think um, coaching in, in, um, in AFL seems to have changed um, to some degree, I don't. Obviously, I'm not a player, and I don't know the ins and outs of it. But I think Paul Ruse was probably maybe part of that um, shift. Nice. You know, uh, allowing or sort of supporting meditation within the Sydney Swans, um, and you know, um, it's, it's obviously that that kind of general philosophy about being kind to each other and being grateful, and um, and allowing ourselves to be peaceful and and that kind of thing. Um, you know, is a really uh, exciting uh, development, I think, for professional sport because, um, you know, you'll see, I think you'll see better in uh, team, better teamwork, better cohesion, um, less burnout and, and just in more enjoyment of the game. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, enjoyment, that, that's the word, enjoyment. They're there, they're actually enjoying what they're doing. They're not worried about, you know, all the external factors. It's all about being more in the moment and actually, like, embracing that and I just think it's been so good to see what Richmond have done because they were all too much in the mind mate that's why they never got the results you know and um, uh, yeah. yeah too many guys in there that were all fear based at the end of the day yeah yeah and um, I, I mean, you know, I've only ever been a, a club hockey player but um, I, I did play a little bit of junior state hockey when I was young and um, you know, so I've, I've sort of seen a bit of that in in hockey, and some some coaches um, that I used to have when I was young were, you know, the kind of old mentality, very much a fear based situation, and mm -hmm. and I was always scared as a young kid to make a mistake, you know. Yeah. So, yep. um, 
you, you get other coaches who just build you up. They tell you how good you are. They um, they tell you it's okay to make a mistake. In fact, if you're not making mistakes, you know you're probably not developing. Um, you know, so they would be much more encouraging. And um, the the teams that I've played in that I've really enjoyed, and generally the ones that are more successful, um, have been the ones who've taken the more positive approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No, no, that, that, that's exactly right. So we're we're starting to see a shift. People can say, yeah, we're going to do this, but they've got to live it. You know, it's a daily practice. Yeah. It's a daily practice. You can't just say, yeah, we're doing this now and, you know, we're, we're doing this great stuff, but you've got to embrace this yourself and be able to bring it into your well-being program. And I believe having a well-being program as an individual is fundamental because it actually gets you grounded every day. And, um, you know, to be able to do a meditation like you're doing, it gets you back to centre again and you come back through the gears. And, um, you know, if you've got a leader doing that and then you've got other individuals in the workplace that are doing it then all of a sudden you know joy starts to come in and uh and then you start to see real humanity in its essence you don't start to see division and um uh you know the way society is going with some things at the moment we're starting to see a lot of divide but you know if we're able to come back to center regularly it actually gives us a bit more fulfillment uh you know and we start to see the sun come up and the sun go down like it has for an eternity we start to be that sun ourselves you know we start to actually be that uh that light um which the world desperately needs i guess and um uh you know i just think that's part of all of us we've all got that innate nature inside us um before the conditioning and so forth come along and we can actually start to um you know get back to basics again which actually gives us um the ability to be able to be the best version of ourselves we possibly can would you agree yeah completely but it does take um it does it does take a well firstly you need a little bit of knowledge because as you've alluded to and i've sort of commented on um there's been a a programming that that we get from a young age um which is not helpful necessarily um for our well-being but then once we learn the right tools um it, you know, it's about developing the habits and then practicing them regularly. So if I can just talk briefly about my own practices, you know, like um, I've got a gratitude diary which is sitting next to my um, next to my bed and every night I write down three or four things I'm grateful for mm. for the day. You know, it puts me in a really nice place to go to sleep and then when I get up in the morning I do about half an hour to an hour of meditation, um, make sure I get some exercise and then head off to work. And... Um, and then when I get moments during the day, um, you know, where I might be even even walking walking from work to, to get some lunch, you know, I'm just making sure that I'm I'm present or I'm just feeling my feet when they touch the earth. I might be um, just listening to the sounds around me, um, doing things to ground myself and be present again. And so I just grab those moments throughout the day. I have my regular practice in the morning and the gratitude at night. And I find that um, you know, that with a decent um, diet and exercise, you know, it, it keeps me well, um, keeps me really happy. And, and it's not actually that complicated. Like once you, once you get into a habit, it um, can take you, you know, three to six weeks to get into a habit. But once you start to feel the benefit, then, um, you know, you won't miss it because, um, because it makes you feel so good. And, um, yeah, and it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. You've just got to get started. Yeah, routine, mate. It's it's repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. You know, you might get up and you you'll find uh, things are out of whack, challenge. But after you know twenty minutes, half an hour, your whole day can change. And I just think 
investing that time in yourself is, is so important um, because it really gives you the ability to come back to center again and then you start your day a bit more conscious, you know, rather than unconscious. Yep, yep, totally, yep. Yeah, that, and that's that's the beauty about um, early mornings. Like, um, I've been working with um, a gentleman in Melbourne um, and uh, in terms of well-being, and one of the things he recommended or, or introduced me to was what's called the chi cycle. Um, it's like Chinese medicine. I don't understand much about it, but what it what it does talk about is um, is different parts of the day and um, and how best to utilise those different parts of the day. Um, uh, and and it turns out that you know mornings is a really really good time. So sort of between five and seven in the morning um, is a great time to do exercise and meditate. Um, you know, and then. You might have breakfast. A good time to use your brain is between somewhere around nine and nine and one o'clock um, in the morning, and then into one in the afternoon. And then um, you know you might want to do something creative mid afternoon if you can. Um, you know, do a little bit more work, and then um, and then evening. Um, you know, is just a good time to rest, and um, and off you go again. So it's kind of like a nice little way of thinking about using your time. Um, and once you develop those kind of routines. Um, yeah, they serve you really, really well. Um, and, and actually, look, <laughs> I get up at about 5.30 in the morning um, during the week. Weekends, I have a bit of a sleep in. But um, I've found that if I can get up early and, and get the meditation, the exercise in, um, it just sets the day up then. And um, I've got lots of energy, feel positive and um, enjoy life. Yeah, yeah well said, mate. Uh, it's interesting, like, the, the traditional way of life here is to turn the radio on or turn the TV on, which is automatically putting you into fear straight away. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, like we've touched on, um, I think some opportunities are missed with people when they're young. Um, you know, if we could we could get um, children and then um, their parents into some really um, solid routines, um, less screen time, more, more time exercising and meditating and... Um, and those sorts of things, I think um, we'd see a big shift um, yeah. Yeah, in the way everyone feels. You know, working with nature rather than against it, you know. So you're actually tapping into those higher levels of consciousness early rather than going back to the lower levels of consciousness. And you just got to look at the, at, at the programming, for example. I don't want to go into it too much, but, you know, I was brought up straight away, the radio, the TV, whatever, and all of a sudden you'd just be like given all this information which puts you into fear and then an adult come on and try and sell you something to make you feel better and that that system hasn't changed. It's just we're a bit more aware of it now, you know. Uh, back then we weren't. We just thought that was life and all of a sudden you've got this trauma in your body and that causes disease and that means medication and it means, you know, feeling better through drinking or eating unhealthy and we've all got the power to get ourselves out of that. You know, we, we really have. Yeah. It's a matter of actually doing some of the practices that you suggested, which can help bring you back to balance again. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. We've, we've had a lot of this sort of laid upon us, and that's maybe our default setting. But if we can continually show up on a daily basis, I just think that uh, the, the whole physiology can change and uh, we can start to come back to to a level of kindness to ourselves again and, um, you know, not not really punishing ourselves and a lot of us don't really know any other way, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I like, and, and I think that one of the messages <laughs> I'd like to get across is that actually we have everything we need. You know, like we have 
all of the tools that we need to be well and happy, uh, um, you know, are, are pretty much free um, and are available to us. It's just a matter of um, applying them, learning what they are, applying them. Um, I've been taught um, by some very good meditation teachers and one of them said to me, um, you know, that um, nature, you know, provides us with a lot of facilities. Um, that's the word that um, Ehrman Effendi uh, uses. He's been my meditation teacher and, um, you know, he talks about facilities. So like a, a, a tree um, or, or um, other parts of nature are like a facility. So with a tree... You know, you can um, you can just observe it. You can um, watch very closely and use it as a kind of mindfulness exercise, and just just pay attention to it. With the earth, you can touch the earth and feel the earth, so it's very grounding. Mm. Um, you know, these sorts of things are really simple, um, uh, like sounds. Now, I mean, I'm just sitting at home. I happen to live near a river, and and I can hear the birds outside. You know, I can just tune into that, and there's a a really beautiful way of becoming grounded and peaceful. Um, you know, so there's so many different um, things that nature give us, uh, gives us already. Um, and then, of course, we have um, the ability to breathe um, and focus on our breath to calm us down. We can touch our heart and smile. That will give us peacefulness and lightness and joy. We can walk slowly on the earth and feel the earth below our feet, which will make us feel grounded. Um, you know, all of these things are available and they don't cost a cent. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, <laughs> as I said before, like, Learning the, learning the skills and the techniques and then just applying them and being consistent and um, yeah and, and what you find is actually that the answers are there and, and they're really quite simple yeah absolutely mate all the innate knowing that we, we, we knew as kids we didn't need much we just got the job done you know and uh, yeah, it's, it's, right. uh, it's, all, it's all still there just that we've just been distracted away from that but I guess you and I having this conversation um, you know will help people you know sort of maybe get some tools and some awareness around being able to sort of develop a practice which gets them back back home again and um you know i think ivan we've got so much in common now that we that we always sort of knew we had but we're now we've sort of you know solidified that a little bit and uh um i just reckon um yeah what you're doing with the heart meditation is is really the way you know i've i've learned various practices over the years i've done Lots of different teacher trainings. I've done, you know, lots of, uh, lots of, um, you know, different practices and so forth. But that is the the the, the governor at the end of the day. And um, you know, I'm really grateful for what I learned through Buddhism and Kundalini Yoga and, um, you know, Hatha Yoga and um, and transcendental meditation in uh, in a way in the early days for me. But um, you know, the the heart based meditation is a really profound way to uh, to connect with your real self and. You know, I'm grateful that um, that you've reminded me a little bit more about that now, and uh, you know, to be able to you know divert my own practice. I've just finished a thousand day practice, which was given to me by my teacher, which is all about you know neutralising the mind. But uh, really, the the heart is the the governing vessel, you know, behind the mind. So if you can find peace with your heart, then all of a sudden, I believe we'll, we'll, uh, everything will take care of itself. Yeah, that's right, and and. Um, one thing, another sort of thing about the heart, which I haven't really talked so much about, is that when the heart's strong, um, you know, our mind naturally settles. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of meditation practices try to use the mind to calm the mind down, and of course that's beneficial. Um, but the thing I like about the heart is it's the centre of feeling. So mm -hmm. those feelings like peacefulness and lightness and joy, and, and when we 
when we get the heart centre stronger, um, the mind, yeah, it just naturally becomes more calm. Um, and we tend to talk more more nicely to ourselves, which is also a really nice benefit. Mm, that's right. And I just think a lot of us, like, we just automatically beat ourselves up with our, with our thinking and our comments and that it's, it's so, so hard to get away from. But, yeah, as you said, the regular practice, three weeks, six weeks and so forth, journaling it, seeing how you're going with it, not being too judgmental of yourself um, and realising when you're in a, in, a, in a situation of conflict and seeing the turmoil around you, how people are actually like disconnected from their hearts. If you can stay within your heart, then all of a sudden you stay you know, quite balanced. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, um, oh, look, I mean, the, 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 the big example for me is, is in my personal life, like um, I've been with my partner now for uh, 10 years, um, uh, Danielle, and she's, she's an amazing woman, um, and I'm very lucky to have met her, but um, prior to discovering the heart, to be honest, I don't think I, I could have stayed with her with anyone for very long. Um, I had a, a series of relationships that didn't last and I think a, a large part of the reason for that was I wasn't heart-centred. I was, I was fearful, I was, um, you know, very emotional and, um, and I wasn't solid. Um, and, um, you know, so as a result, I found it very difficult to stay in relationships. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm extreme, I was extremely fortunate to have met Danny. Um, she's an amazing woman, but I, I do believe that if I'd stay in the same place that I was in, um, you know, when I was in my, my really low low periods, that, um, you know, I hadn't discovered the heart. I, to be honest, I'm not sure if we'd still be together because I probably would have found a reason to find fault with her and yes. and argue and carry on, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, it, it helps with the relationships as well <laughs> because you don't, yeah, you, you just, you don't tend to get in, in as many fights or conflicts um, when you're strong in your heart. Yeah, and I've said this before to you, but your wedding's the best wedding I've ever been to. So uh, that was a really heart-based wedding, you know, and obviously the relationship's really strong and it has continued to be. So I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to, to join you on that day and, um Mate, uh, I think uh, there'll be a lot of people that will learn a lot from this conversation, Ivan. How can people reach out to you if they want to touch base? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, our website is happyground.com.au. Um, yeah, so the business is called Happy Ground Wellbeing. Um, so that's the, that's the website. Um, the email is info at happyground.com.au. So... Um, if you want to just um, yeah send us an email or give me a call, my phone number's on the um, on the front of the website as well. So yeah, feel free to, to get in touch and um, love to hear from you. It's been a pleasure, mate. Guys, thank you very much for joining in. Uh, pretty deep, powerful conversation there, obviously with what Ivan's been through um, and to where he is now. It's such a credit to him, but he's he's taken his power back, you know, and that's within all of us. So. I encourage you to reach out to him uh, and look at uh, the work he's done and he's doing um, happyground.com.au. If you'd like to reach out with me, supportoutbackmind.com.au. There's a bit of trouble with the emails at the moment, so I hope that's going to be back online. New website's up, outbackmind.com.au, so please check that out. Appreciate your feedback and some awesome guests coming up over the next few days. I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll know. Thanks very much. Cheers.